listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome again to Occupation Station. I'm Diane Donato and our guest for this episode is Christopher Fossil. He's an oncology pharmacist specializing in precision medicine. He is director of pharmacy, precision genomics oncology at Indiana University Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. You earned your bachelor's of science in 1993, and then in 1996, you were in ACP's graduating class of PharmD students. So thinking back, what kind of a career did you imagine you would have? To be quite frank, uh, at that time, I was just glad to be done with school and to be going out and getting a real job. But what I was aiming to do with going back and getting a doctor of pharmacy degree, which you know, current students now they they go straight through, right? So they get they get the six-year PharmD degree. At that time, there was no six-year PharmD degree in New York State or really anywhere else but Florida and California. So if you wanted to get a PharmD, you actually had to go another two years after your five years for your BS. And the reason why I wanted to do that is I wanted to be a clinical pharmacist taking care of patients in a hospital. I had an experience during my residency training at the VA hospital in Albany, New York, right across the street from ACPHS. And it was a remarkable experience. I had uh, outstanding mentoring from my residency director, Mary Andritz, uh, who eventually became a dean at Albany College of Pharmacy and and my preceptors there. So that kind of spurred my interest in, in doing direct patient care. So when you entered school, did you have people in your family who had been pharmacists or what attracted you initially to this career? So I did. I had uh, an aunt and an uncle, both of which went to Albany College of Pharmacy. My uncle Ed graduated in 1959, and my aunt Dorothy graduated in 1961. The the true story about how I ended up at Albany College of Pharmacy is when I was in 11th grade, all the students had to go meet with a guidance counselor to talk about college options. And so I was I was interested in math and science, and so I thought I wanted to be an engineer. And so I was explaining that to my guidance counselor at school, and he goes, well, "What do he asked me? What you just asked me? He's like, what do you, what do people in your family do?" And I said, "Well, I have an aunt and uncle that are pharmacists." And he goes, "Okay." He pulls out this one front back page application from Albany College of Pharmacy. He goes, "Fill this out right now. With your grades, you're going to get early acceptance." and no matter what it is that you decide to do, you have this in your back pocket. So just fill this out right now and and, um, and I'll send it in. I did that and turns out when I was a senior in high school, the spring of my senior year, I got a call from a freshman at the time by the name of Dan Prusky, who's a freshman at Albany College of Pharmacy. And he's like, hey, I saw you were early acceptance. We are calling uh, students that had early acceptance to try, try to see if you had any questions about the school and what you... You know, if you wanted us to explain how things are going, you know, from a freshman's perspective. So we had a nice conversation on the phone. He ended up inviting me since I I lived only a half hour away from Albany in Cooksaki, New York. Uh, He invited me up to spend a day in the dorms with him and his roommates, and they brought me to classes the next day. After meeting lots of people and attending several social events during that, I said, you know what? I think I could do this pharmacy thing. And yet what you wound up doing 
there was no way that you could have been able to picture yourself in roles similar to what you're doing right now. And that's partly because of all the big changes in the industry, right? You know, what I'm doing now, and I suppose we'll get into the weeds about that in just a bit, but the technology for what is happening now in the treatment of cancer uh, that I'm specifically working on, which is called genomic sequencing, that did not exist in the mid to late 1990s. We hadn't even sequenced the human genome yet. That didn't take place until the early 2000s. And it wasn't until about 2010 or so where some of the companies that actually do this work in the laboratory started coming to be and started doing this work, applying it to patients. So yeah, I had no idea that I would ever end up doing something related to genetics of cancer. I, Like I said, I just wanted to be a hospital pharmacist taking care of sick patients and trying to make sure that their drugs are correct and try to make their pain go away and try to prevent them from getting sick while they're getting chemotherapy. That I mean, that was my focus when I first started in the 1990s as a pharmacist. Now, we mentioned earlier that you began your career in hospital pharmacy before switching over, moving to Indiana, working in oncology. I want to know a little bit more about what prompted that change in career direction. I know you mentioned about wanting to be able to relieve people's pain. You also mentioned some of the mentorship that you had, but could you go into that a little bit more? My first job coming out of the gate after finishing uh, training was as a clinical pharmacist in a hospital. And so the areas that I worked in, I was I was covering a bone marrow transplant unit and I was covering a hematology oncology unit. I was the only pharmacist that was assigned to do that clinical work at the time. Uh, and now there's three. Um, so my role was to basically do, attend medical rounds with the physicians and, and see every one of the patients that was in the hospital on their service and provide support with respect to making sure that the chemotherapy that's ordered is 100% correct and that the dosing is correct and that all the supportive care medicines like the anti-nausea medicines were 100% correct and to make sure that any patients that came into the hospital that had some sort of infection, that their antibiotics that we're using to treat are optimized in terms of the right antibiotic for the type of infection that they have, for the type of microorganism that they've grown out, and for the dosing that needs to take place based on either their liver function or their kidney function. All that stuff needs to be 100% correct when you're taking care of very sick cancer patients in the hospital. So that's what I was doing. And I, I did that for about 10 years, well, actually 12 years. And then our, our health system built a new cancer center building. It's attached to, to the university hospital that I, I was working at. And the, the hospital I work at, Indiana University Hospital, is very similar to Albany Medical Center. So it's an academic teaching hospital. It's affiliated with a medical school, Indiana University School of Medicine. So it's, it's very similar to what we have in Albany with Albany Medical Center. So we built a, a, a large cancer center and they needed someone to be in charge of a new pharmacy that they had built in that, in that cancer center. And so I kind of transitioned into being a clinical manager of that pharmacy, but also having my hand in some of the nuts and bolts sorts of things that oncology pharmacists do. And I did that for about another 10 years. At the end of 2019, they needed a pharmacist to work with the precision medicine program in oncology. And so I wasn't planning on doing that full time. I, I just 
kind of slid into that for the time being because they needed someone that had some experience to do that. And so I did that for a few months. And then the the, the physician that's in charge of it, uh, his name's Dr. Brian Schneider, who I'd worked with for a number of years at, at, the, at the hospital. He's like, hey, would you ever consider doing this as a full-time gig? I said, well, yeah, maybe I'd been doing, you know, managing pharmacies, managing cancer pharmacies for about 10 years. So maybe it's time for a change. And there was a whole lot of stuff that I needed to learn to, in order to do this effectively. And so I was kind of up for that challenge to learn something new. There was a PhD that was kind of in charge of the interpretation piece of the genetic reports that we get of the tumors uh, that we're, we're analyzing. And he taught me how to do this properly. Uh, and then he ended up about a year and a half after me being there, he, he ended up taking a position, uh, a senior leadership position in one of the companies that does this testing in the laboratory. Uh, that's a national company. And so I ended up uh, assuming his role in, in taking the responsibility for interpreting the genomic reports for the patients with cancer. So that's how I ended up where I am. Sometimes in a career, it's a combination, right, of skill set and where you're needed. I mean, having having had about 20 years as an oncology pharmacist was very helpful for me just to be able to slide in, learn this new skill set, but also you're still taking care of patients with, with cancer. So I, I had that kind of uh, skill set in spades. I just needed to learn the genomics part of it in terms of the common gene abnormalities that are seen in cancer tumors and then match them up with drug therapy options to hopefully be effective for the treatment of their cancer. Would you recommend this kind of career path, this kind of career evolution to other ACPHS graduates or current students who are trying to map out what their future may hold? I try not to be overly prescriptive when uh, making recommendations for careers, but what, what I do think is a very fruitful and rewarding career is, is to work with cancer patients. There are so many things that you can do as a pharmacist on so many levels in the hospital, in the clinics, that just improves the quality of life of patients struggling with cancer. You make a huge impact on patients and you get to have a wonderful connection with patients and their families. And they trust you to be an important part of their life in one of the most vulnerable times in their life. And so it's a huge responsibility. And I think that pharmacists are exceptionally well-trained uh, particularly now. I, I mean, the, the education that the students at ACPHS are getting now in terms of its comprehensiveness to just come out of graduation, coming out of a residency training program and stepping right in and taking great care of patients. It's an outstanding opportunity for them to uh, roll up their shirt sleeves and do great work. You talked recently about the importance of residency and helping a student decide what it is they want to do. There are so many ways that people can help others with these degrees. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Anybody that might be interested in working in a hospital and or clinic and providing direct patient care, you're not going to regret doing a residency, either a first year residency, which we call PGY-1, which is more of a general experience and or specializing in an area such as oncology, pediatrics, critical care, infectious disease, whatever it is that you're interested in. I strongly recommend to 
any of the students that come through and work with us because we you know we're affiliated with two pharmacy schools here in indiana butler university and purdue university both of them are outstanding schools of pharmacy just like acphs i've had hundreds literally hundreds of students that have that i precepted over the years from those two institutions and anytime that a student says to me hey you know i'm really thinking of getting to work in a hospital i want to i want to do direct clinical care as opposed to maybe doing more of the dispensing aspect of pharmacy i say well you know what you really are going to do yourself well if you if you pursue residency training because even if you don't end up doing exactly what you think you're going to be doing you're going to acquire all these additional skills that are going to make you more marketable that are going to give you uh different exposures that you never would have had otherwise Chris, we promised earlier that we would get into the specifics about what exactly you do. You're the Director of Pharmacy for Precision Genomics Oncology at Indiana University, which is the Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. I know you're part of the Molecular Tumor Board. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are going to understand exactly what that is, but many others, again, some of the people who are students or even just in high school and starting to think about careers, could you explain more about what the Molecular Tumor Board is? A tumor board is a conference generally run by medical oncologists who get together, usually weekly, and they present complex cases to a group of physicians and other ancillary staff, and that can include pharmacists and nurses and social workers and dietitians. And they try to, as a group, establish what makes the most sense in terms of a treatment plan for an individual patient. All academic uh, hospitals have tumor boards for their cancer treatment programs, and they have they often usually have multiple tumor boards. So there may be a tumor board for GI cancers and a tumor board for genitourinary cancers and a tumor board for breast cancers and on down the line. About a decade ago, our medical director, Dr. Brian Schneider, established a tumor board here at Indiana University specifically for patients who have solid tumor, tumor cancers to evaluate the role of the genetics of the individual tumor. So what does that mean? Well, well, what the reality of the situation with cancer is, cancer is a result of a group of cells undergoing genetic chaos. There's some sort of catastrophic event that has happened to the genetics of a group of cells where they turn from normal healthy cells into cancer cells, where cancer cells, they don't do anything meaningful. They just grow and they grow in really weird, unorthodox ways. And they try to spread throughout the body. And eventually they decimate the normal healthy body if left unchecked. So we've known this role for the genetics of cancer since the really the 1960s. And it's only been in the last decade or so that we're actually able to take a piece of the tumor, either from a biopsy specimen or from a surgical specimen, and send that piece of the tumor to a laboratory that does this genomic sequencing testing. And then when they get the chunk of tumor at the laboratory, they're able to put it in a very fancy, expensive to the tune of $1.2 million, machine called a DNA sequencer. And that DNA sequencer can look inside of the individual cancer cells and map out the DNA. And when it maps out the DNA, it can identify all the areas in the DNA that are, are, are abnormal or mutated. And that's important because many of these mutated genes in the DNA of cancer cells can be matched with a particular medication that uses that mutation as a vulnerability to kill the cancer tumors. So we have a group every week where we review a number of cases where this type of testing is done 
We try to identify what we think are the most important genes that are driving the growth and spread of the tumor. And then we try to match up medications for those individual genes that could be used as a treatment option for a patient, either in the short term or in the long term. Some of those drugs may be drugs that are already FDA approved, and some of them may be drugs that are still in clinical trials. This is a bit of an aside, but how long does it take to do the DNA sequencing for a patient now? I know the technology is changing dramatically. Remember in the early 2000s when they sequenced the human genome, I mean, they did, the NIH did it, and then there was a private group that did it, and they announced the results at the same time. And like both guys ended up on the cover of Time Magazine because it, it took a couple of decades to, to get to that point. Now you can sequence the uh, DNA of the tumor. And if you do it from tissue, it usually takes about two to three weeks. And we can also detect pieces of DNA from the tumor in the bloodstream. You can do blood testing and or tissue testing to achieve the same result. And the blood testing is a little bit quicker. You can usually get that turned around in about seven to 10 days. That alone makes this a very exciting time to be in your career. But I want a little bit more though, dig a little deeper. What do you find challenging and what do you find exciting? So what I find challenging is we are still in our I call it our toddler stage of understanding how to use this information. The platforms for testing the DNA inside of tissue and blood continue to improve. The number of drugs that we have available that are based specifically on individual gene mutations continue to expand, but they're not expanding to the speed that we would like. So that's that's a little bit of a, a frustration and a challenge. But then if you look on the other side of it, this is still almost like science fiction, right? To, to think that you could actually send a piece of tumor, get it mapped out in a couple of weeks for less than $10,000, the test, and then be able to pick a drug, either a drug that's available or a drug that's on a study and get it to a patient and, and keep their cancer from growing and spreading. So it's a remarkable technology, but we're just in the beginning stages of our understanding of how to use it effectively. And we still need a lot more tools. There still needs to be... Hundreds of more drugs, I think, that are, are going to need to be FDA approved because we're going to need to use some of these drugs in combination in order to, to really make a big dent in long-term survival for many, many different cancers. It's exciting to think that some of your students and some of our students may be the people who help develop those drugs. Oh, they will be. They will be. There's there's no doubt. I mean, with the with the skill and the education, the comprehensiveness of the education that pharmacy students are getting now. You know, they, they go out, they get a couple of years of clinical experience working in an academic place in, in cancer. You know, they're going to have opportunities to go into industry and, and make make uh, a mark in terms of pushing drug development forward. So I, and that happens with a lot of oncology pharmacists. A lot of oncology pharmacists do end up going to work for industry because they want they want to do more from a research perspective. And the opportunities for pharmacists and industry keep increasing, which I think is great for the profession. Tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you learned while at ACPHS. I guess it was actually ACP at the time, but that prepared you for this kind of position and the things that you do. I was very fortunate to have gone through training at a time when our PharmD class was 13 students, we were the, we were one of the first couple of classes to go through because there wasn't a PharmD program when I started at ACP. It was established, I think, in my, my third or fourth year. Our class size was 13 students. 
we, we really had a beautifully customized educational experience, not only from the first year, which was largely classwork, but the, the rotations that we were able to do. We had our pick of any of the rotations, the clinical rotations in our second year of PharmD school that we wanted. And I had outstanding rotations. I got to go to the University of Buffalo and did a rotation there. I got to go down to Cooperstown and do a rotation there. I, I got to do rotations with all the faculty at ACP, at Albany Medical Center that I, I wanted to. So really that experience and the really deep connections that the faculty had with some of the physicians at the, at the medical college allowed me to be in an atmosphere which just created this opportunity for learning and kind of a, a yearning to learn more. You recently returned to Albany. You got to tour ACPHS and the Stack Family Center for Biopharmaceutical Education and Training with your son, which I know was exciting. What did you think when you saw what's happening in Albany? Uh I wish I had all that when I was a student. I, I, you know, we just had the O'Brien building as, as a single building at that time because Christian Brothers Academy owned all the rest of the buildings around campus. And so the students now have a really first class educational experience uh, from the facilities that they have. And now with the new stack center where they get to go and they, they get to work basically elbow to elbow with people that really know benchtop research well. And that can stimulate their interest in either going down the route of doing research, whether it's in the academic setting or whether it's in the industrial setting. So to, to have that opportunity that earlier on in your career, I think, is a huge feather to the cap of ACPHS, and it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for the students. What are some of the most important lessons that you learned in your career after ACP? Well, I think, number one, there is no limit to what a pharmacist can accomplish in their career if they choose to seek something out. I think students now should know as they're coming out, they should have that confidence in themselves that there are no limits. They can achieve whatever they want to. They just have to work for it. They just have to set their goal of what, they, what it is that they want to achieve and then work hard and they will get it. They will achieve what it is that they want to achieve. It may take some time, but they will achieve what it is that they want to have what they want to get out of their career. And, you know, they're, they're very well prepared to go in and do things that even now that I, I may be thinking I have kind of a progressive vision of what pharmacy practice should be. I'm hoping that this next generation comes along and just smashes that and just continues pushing the profession forward and, and gets involved in lots of things that I haven't even dreamed of. Any other advice that you would have for our students? What I would say is make sure your mind is open to lots of different opportunities in school and after school. So when someone comes up to you and says to you, maybe you're in your third or fourth year of school and you're busy, hey, would you be interested in maybe getting involved with this lab project? Or would you be interested in volunteering for this cause? Or those sorts of things. Do it because you never know when that one interaction may completely change the trajectory of your life. All right. Closing thoughts. When you meet somebody and you talk to them about what it is that you do, what do you tell them? I have to tell you, I really love being a pharmacist. I think that I've been very fortunate in my career. Uh, I've had, I believe, you know, I got the best opportunity to get a great education that I could have at the time that I, I went to school. Again, I just, I can't believe what it is that I'm doing now. 
because it's it's just it's almost still kind of science fiction. But for the younger generation coming up, they're going to have they're going to have tremendous opportunities with technologies that we couldn't even dream of. And so I want our next generation of pharmacists to get involved in that early on and stay ahead of it and lead the charge in in medicine and curing cancer and in curing other diseases and improving health for all patients, no matter where they are. I mean, not just in the United States, but there's a lot going on in the world in underserved areas too, where pharmacists could have a big impact and, and help improving the life of people that just don't have the resources that we have here in the United States. So there's lots of wonderful opportunities to make a positive difference. Christopher Fossil, oncology pharmacist, specializing in precision medicine, director of pharmacy at Precision Genomics Oncology at Indiana University, Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. For more information or to schedule a tour, visit acphs.edu. You can tune in to all of our informative stories at acphs.edu forward slash podcast. Each podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeart. Mark Occupation Station as a favorite and you'll receive push notifications as soon as we publish something new. Occupation Station is also a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, the largest podcast content directory dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy.